Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, the book of Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue our series through the Beatitudes. We've been going through and trying to discover the meaning of true happiness and how to achieve it, and Jesus gave us a whole list of of what describes uh, the type of person that finds true happiness in this life. Chapter 5, verse 2, he says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then today he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we want to talk about this idea of blessed are those who are pure in heart. Uh, If you've ever read uh, Dr. Eugene Peterson's version of the Bible called The Message, it's a modern translation, he translates Matthew 5, 8 this way. He says, you're blessed when you get your inside world your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You catch that? You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And that's really what this next beatitude is about, is getting that inside world put right. If I was to sum it up myself, I would say this, is that the heart that is focused on God will one day see God. There are so many things that distract us from from what we should be focused on in this life, in this world below. But the one thing that matters most is our relationship with God. And when we get that heart pure, when we get the heart right, and it is focused and it is undivided, it's then that we find true happiness. The Old Testament gives a parallel to this beatitude. In Psalms 24, listen to verses 3 through 6. He says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation who seek him and seek the face of the God of Jacob. And so the psalmist asks the question, who's going to see God? Who's going to get to climb that holy mountain and, and see God and gaze upon his face? And he answers it. He says, it's those that have clean hands and a pure heart. Sounds very familiar to blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, doesn't it? And so today I want to talk to you about this this passage, and I want to give you three things. The first one is the importance of the heart. The heart is very important. If you've ever been in love, you know how important the heart is, don't you? It can get wounded very easily, right? If you've ever had your heart broken, you know. And we know that it's not the physical heart inside of us that is broken when someone uh, dumps us or or doesn't want anything to do with us or doesn't love us in return. But he's talking more about the center of who we are, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. And and the heart is so important. Proverbs 4.23 said this, and we'll look at it in three past three different versions of Scripture. The author or the ESV says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The authorized version says, keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And the New Living says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
The heart is extremely important. And the fact that Jesus took time in this beatitude and says, hey, blessed are those who are pure in heart tells us that Christ believed the heart was important also. That it was very important to him. In fact, he'll go on in the book of Matthew and he'll kind of scold the Pharisees and the scribes for cleaning themselves up on the outside but not taking care of the inside. This idea that we're going to talk about today of cleansing, there were two types of cleansing. There was a ceremonial cleansing and there was a physical cleansing. In the Old Testament, there were certain ways that you cleansed yourself, that you washed yourself, and they had all sorts of rigorous rules about being clean. And these were all dealing with the outside. But Jesus said, hey, there's something beyond just the outside. There's an internal cleaning. There is a, a spiritual cleaning that needs to take place. And only God can do that in our lives. The human heart is so important. It is the core of our being. It really is the determiner of, of where we're going to head in life from this time forward. It determines our heart will determine our success or our failure. In your marriage, your heart will determine whether you have a good marriage or a bad marriage. In your homes, your hearts will determine whether you've got a good, solid, loving home or if you have a home that struggles with turmoil and strife. The heart is where everything is. When folks are, are evil and we look around and we see evil in the world, isn't it strange how in this time that we try to legislate righteousness in the world that we live in? Things go wrong and we see evil in the world and we have lawmakers that right away get busy and they say, we've got to pass another law because this happened. We've got to change the rules because that happened. And the reality is we can pass all the laws in the world, but really the heart is what needs to be changed. When we have tragedies like we saw a year ago at Sandy Hook or like we saw this last week and we can make all sorts of laws about it, but the biggest change that can ever be made in this world is if the church ignites and goes out and begins to reach men, women, boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ and begins to change the heart of men. We can't legislate. That has to be done by God changing the heart. Jesus said, it's not what what we have on the outside, it's what comes out of us defiles us it's the heart and what we say comes from the heart and what we do comes from the heart so the heart is very important and not only that in this beatitude does he tell us the heart is important but there's a call to have purity in the heart isn't there he said blessed are the pure in heart not just those who have a heart because we know that that our hearts can be desperately wicked and deceitful or our hearts can be tuned to god But he says, true happiness comes from having this pure heart. There was a Christmas carol called A Christmas Carol, and it was taken from a poem called In the Bleak Midwinter by Christina Rossetti, and she describes the nativity of Christ. And in the fifth stanza of her Christmas carol, she says this, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I'll give him my heart. Our heart belongs to God, and and He calls out for purity in that heart. What does purity mean, though? It really has a few connotations to it. The English word that we interpret purity comes from a word that is katharos. And we get the word catharsis from that, and that's a cleansing that takes place within us. And that word has two basic meanings. And the first one is to to make pure by cleansing something. And, and when we talk about being purified, we, we drink water, don't we? Many of us go down and, and we'll spend money on bottled water. Who'd have ever thought that people would become millionaires by selling us bottled water? But we buy it, and on the bottle, most of them say purified, don't they? Kind of bursts our bubble when we realize that somewhere, some 
place, somebody tapped into the city water system, pumped the water in, purified it, and now they sell it to us. But the water's been purified. It's been made clean. It's been put through a filtering process, whatever type that is. And, and that is really part of this idea of having this pure heart, is that the heart has been made clean. That God came along, and in our wickedness and in our sinfulness, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on that old rugged cross. He rose again. And as a result of all of that, I can be purified. I can be made clean. I can be made right with God. He can take me and make it as if I've never sinned. His purification is that great. And so that is one aspect of the world. And only God can do that kind of purifying in our lives, correct? The second part of that meaning to that word is this, unmixed or undiluted. Unmixed or undiluted. When we buy certain products, many times it'll say 100% pure this. You ever thought you were drinking something very healthy, you were drinking some kind of fruit juice, and then you come to find out it really is only 2% fruit juice (laughs) and 98% sugar and water. If you really want to be healthy, you look for the juice that says 100% pure fruit juice. It's unmixed. It's unfiltered. It's straight from the fruit, right? But this idea of unmixed or undiluted. In radio, they use a term talking about or in electronics about a pure signal. That when they're able to get a pure signal, there's no mixture to it. There's no other things bleeding into it. It's just straight what is being said and that's it. And this idea that blessed are the pure in heart kind of leads us to that more than the cleansing. Jesus is speaking to those who have already given their hearts to Christ, whose lives have already been cleansed of their sin. And I believe now what he's really getting at is this idea that that our hearts cannot be mixed or diluted with other things. They have to be 100% sold out to God. Listen to what Christ said. And one of the scribes came up and heard them (coughs) disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And in that text, he really tells us something about God. He says, first of all, he is one. He's undiluted. He is undivided. He is one. He is complete. And then he says our love to him and our devotion to him must be the same. He said we're to love God with our whole heart. Not divided and not separated. In fact, Jesus would go on in Matthew 6 and he said no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, he says. And again, this idea is that this love that we have for God has to be pure. This heart of ours must be pure, undivided, unmixed, that it is devoted completely to Christ and to Christ alone. 100% devoted. Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And the title of his book alone probably describes this purity of heart. It's this idea of willing one thing. And unfortunately, in the day that we live, many folks like to live one way, but they want other people to see it a different way. Or we like to act one way, but we want to be perceived another way. And the idea of purity of heart brings these two together and it says, I am what I am. That the way I live is what I'm about. That I don't just talk about God, that I live for God. 
That I don't just say I love God, I live like I love God. That is purity of heart. In Matthew 23, here's Jesus as he rebukes the Pharisees and the hypocrites. And he's really getting at the core of this idea of purity of heart. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And when Jesus opens the sermon with woe to you, you're in trouble. Amen. He says, woe to you, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Can you imagine the silliness of that as to get done with supper and go into the kitchen and just clean up the outside of things, but not the inside? Have you ever had a, a dishwasher in the house? Mine are slowly getting old and they're leaving and moving away, but um, <laughs> I got two dishwashers back right now. But if you've ever had a dishwasher, sometimes you put those cereal bowls and things like that in there, and if you don't put them in there right, man, you pull them out and they just look sparkling. You turn them over and nothing's cleaned on the inside. That's not the way you do it, is it? In fact, I'd prefer the outside be dirty and the inside be clean. And that's really what Christ says. Is he says, woe to you. He uses this illustration. He says, you're just like this. He says... You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside or the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, he goes on and he says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They miss the point of this pure in heart. They're pure on the outside. Everyone looks at them and they're following the letter of the law. They, they've, they've dressed themselves up. They appear like uh, righteous people. But Jesus says, but inside, it's still dirty. It's easy for us to do that, isn't it? In fact, uh, I mean, if we were just to describe how could I look like a Christian, I mean, we, we all have our ideas, don't we? We cut our hair a certain way, or we wear a certain type of clothing, or shiny shoes, or we you know, carry a big Bible in our arms, and we can appear to be Christians. It, it wouldn't take much to fool anybody, would it? But what's going on on the inside, Jesus said, is what's going to make us happy. That's where true happiness is found. Max Lucado, the author, told this story in the book, The Applause of Heaven, and I wanted to share it. He tells about a summer trip while he and his wife lived in Brazil, and he, took a, he was about to leave home for this trip when he realized he had left his ham radio on, and he decided it would be best to go back in the garage and turn it off. And so he went back in the garage and unplugged the ham radio, or so he thought. He had actually reached down and by mistake grabbed the plug to the freezer. And so they were leaving in the hottest part of summer for a 7 to 10 day trip. And as you can imagine, it was not something to look forward to coming home to. He says that when they got home from their trip, he was elected to do the cleaning since he was the one that unplugged it. His wife was unmerciful. So this is what he writes. He says, what is the best way to clean out a rotten interior? I knew exactly what to do. I got a rag and a bucket of soapy water and I began cleaning the outside of the freezer. I was sure the odor would disappear as I buffed and wiped and polished. But when I opened the door, the smell was revolting. No problem, I thought. I knew what to do. This freezer needs some friends. I'd stink too if I had the social life of a machine in a utility room. So I threw a party. 
I invited all the appliances from the neighborhood. Everyone played a pin in the socket and had a few laughs about limited warranties. I was sure the social interaction would cure the inside of the freezer, but when I opened it up, the stink was even worse. I had an idea. If the polished job and social life wouldn't help, I'd give the freezer some status. So I bought a Mercedes sticker and stuck it on the door. I installed a cell phone on the side, and I opened the door, still repulsive. I could think of only one other option, pleasure. So I bought copies of Playfridge, the publication that displays freezers with their doors open. I rented some Foxy films. My favorite was The Big Chill. And after a few days of supercharged after-hours entertainment, I opened the door, and I nearly got sick. Lucado concludes, I know what you're thinking. The only thing worse than Max's humor is his common sense. Who would concentrate on the outside when the problem is on the inside? Really want to know? A housewife battles with depression. What is the solution offered by a close friend? Buy a new dress. Get a job. A husband is involved in an affair that brings him such, as much guilt as it does adventure. The solution? Change peer groups. Hang out with people who don't make you feel guilty. A person is plagued by insecurity and restlessness. The answer, a hunting trip or a vacation or maybe a change of style. A new look, a new car. Flash some cash. That will give you the lift you need. Case after case of treating the outside while ignoring the inside. And the result, oh, the depression, the guilt, the insecurity leaves for maybe a day, maybe a week, but it always returns and usually it's worse but it always returns and usually it's worse. The outside is altered. The inside has faltered. The real and lasting answer, true happiness, comes from the inside out. Why? Lucato says, because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And see, the heart is so important, and it is important enough that we can't do anything to it from the outside. It's from the inside that the change has to take place. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the third thing I want to speak to you about this morning is the idea of seeing God. We know in the Old Testament, he says, no man has seen God at any time. But all throughout the Old Testament, there were those who experienced God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham was a friend of God. There were Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening and enjoyed fellowship with him. And you'll find Bible characters that had this special relationship with God, although none had seen him face to face. And yet Christ said, we'd see God. Moses said this in Exodus 33. Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then, he says, I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. This idea of seeing God, first of all, to to see God means to be in God's presence. That when I am pure in heart, when I get really sold out for God and I take my attention and I stop dividing it between many things and I say, God, you are first and foremost in my life, I begin to see God in this way, I begin to experience his presence. 
I've got a dentist that's chasing me right now. I had a tooth pulled and I've got more work to follow and I think he doesn't want the work to get worse, so he's calling me and hammering me to get into the office. I told him the other day, I said, I'll call you when I'm ready. Leave me alone. <laughs> if you've ever made a doctor's appointment, generally we say, I'd like to get an appointment to what? To see the doctor. There are different ways you could see the doctor, right? I mean, send me his picture. That's good enough for me. I'll see him there. But when we talk about seeing the doctor, what we're saying is, I need some time in his presence. And that's the way it is with God. And Moses said, God, show me your glory. And I believe what he was saying, God, I want to be in your presence. And God tells him, and this is such a powerful path. God says, no man has seen me. If you saw me, you could not live. What an amazing statement about how powerful and glorious God is. But just to see him in his face, face to face, he said, you couldn't live. But God grants his wish in a a unique way. He says, there's this place in the rocks that I'm going to put you. a Cleft in the rock. And and I'm going to put you in there so that you're safe when I pass over. I'm going to cover you with my hand so that you don't see my face. But when I pass by, I'll remove my hand and you can see my back as I go away. Moses saw his glory, although he did not see his face. And the result is found in the next chapter in verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. That's what it means to see God, is to experience his presence. And when we experience God's presence, I believe it does something in our lives where people know that we've been in the presence of God. They can spot it in us. They can can see it in us. We've been in His presence. But to see God also means to be amazed at His glory. To be amazed at His glory. Job said this when he was arguing with God over all the turmoil in his life, over all the things that had gone wrong in his life, and he began to debate with God, and he finally concludes, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What Job was saying is, I'd heard all about you, but God, now I have truly seen what you're about. I understand how amazing you really are. How powerful you really are. And because of this, Job fell to his knees and repented. And oh, how we do the same when we really get a taste of God's holiness, don't we? Sometimes we begin to think we're a little more special than we really are. And all it takes for us is to get back in the Word and realize how holy and how righteous God is before we realize how desperately we need a Savior. But seeing God also means to be comforted by His grace. In the Psalms, the writer says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And then he says, hide not your face from me. Turn your servant away in anger. Do not turn your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. And the psalmist there talks about this idea that God had invited him to come and to seek his face. And he combines that with the thought of mercy and grace. He says, Be gracious to me and answer me. And then he says, 
Don't hide your face from me. What he's saying is the same thing as, God, please be gracious to me. When you and I have experienced the grace and mercy of God, we've seen God, haven't we? When we look at our lives and we realize what a mess we've made of them, and yet God still loves us, we've experienced His grace, then we have truly seen God, haven't we? When we've looked into our our loved ones' lives who were headed in such a destructive direction, and yet God spared them, and we prayed, and God moved in their life, and, and we saw the grace of God and the mercy of God at work in their lives. We say, I have seen the grace of God. I've seen God at work. C.S. Lewis said this, It is safe to tell the pure in heart that they shall see God, for only the pure in heart want to see God. And that's a pretty telling statement. Luke chapter 2, and we'll close here with a couple passages. In Luke chapter 2, we find in the midst of the Christmas story a man who was pure in heart, devout, righteous man, and he saw God. It says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. We find here Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus to present him to the Lord. And it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon, this interesting character. It was a holdover from the silent years of the uh, period between the Old Testament and New Testament and well up in years, and yet God had made him a promise that he would not taste death until he saw the Savior. And it says about him he was devout. And that word devout could be exchanged for this word pure, undivided, sold out, committed. He was dedicated to this. And because of that, he saw the Lord. I want to close with 1 John 3. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know, that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. John says, even though we're in Christ now, we're not finished. Even though I'm a Christian now, there's still work that has to be done in my life. But he says, the day is coming when we're going to see Jesus. And when we see him, he says, we'll be like him. And then he gives this Encouragement, he says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure.
In other words, if I want to see Jesus one day and be like Him, John says, I need to spend this time right now purifying myself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Are you ready to see Jesus? Christmas is here, and we're going to celebrate His his first coming to this earth as a baby. But He'll come again one day. He'll come again one day. It could be soon. It could be... 20 years, 50, it could be 100 years from now, but he will come again. We might see him come in the clouds or he may call us home. Are you ready to see Jesus? John says the only way to be ready is to purify yourself now. Get ready right now. David talked about how to be purified in Psalms 51 as he cried out to God. He said, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Maybe you're here today and that's the prayer you need to offer up before you see Jesus. God, cleanse me. Purify me. Make me right, God. Or maybe you're here today and and you've drifted from God. You've known Christ. Maybe you accepted Him as a young person. Maybe in this church and and through the years, you've just drifted away from God. Maybe today, it's a miracle you're even here. But you are. And even though you're sitting here, you know, I'm, I'm here in the church. I'm still not where I need to be with God. David also said in the same psalm, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me, God, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If you're looking for real happiness, real happiness, it comes from this pure heart. Pure heart. You can clean up the outside all you want, not going to give you real happiness. The real happiness comes when we have surrendered our life to Christ and said, God, clean this out. God, make me pure. Because ultimately, God, I want to see you. I want to experience you in this life. I want to taste your glory and your grace. But God, one day, more than that, I want to see my Savior face to face. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.